Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 23rd, 2010. Now newcomers should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and you'll see a whole bunch of sites listed there. These are the official sites I have, the only official sites I have. These are mine, anything else is bogus, and um, with my name on it that is. And um, you bookmark them for future use because sometimes I have problems with the, the main com sites. And uh, if you've got them bookmarked, you can get the latest shows for download for free. Now, there's hundreds of audios for download from all the, the sites listed there. They all have the same audios for download, and they all have transcripts in English for a lot of the talks I've given uh, for download as well in print up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, you will also see listed there alanwattsentinel.eu, and you can find transcripts in other languages there for download and print up. But as I say, they all carry the same audios. And while you're at it too, remember you're the audience who bring me to you. If you are getting something out of the, the histories that I'm giving you and I've given you in the past and how I fill in the little uh, blank spots that are left out in the news, deliberately of course, uh, then keep supporting me, and you can do so by buying the books and the discs and so on I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I don't ask you get backed by uh, advertisers. In fact, I turn them down. And that way I've got a freer hand to do things. But I need your support to keep going, so buy the books and donate and so on to keep me going. Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check to buy the books or the discs, and you can also use an international postal money order. PayPal for donations or to purchase. If you want to purchase something, send the donation followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Some people just send cash. And across the rest of the world, same idea, you can have cash. So far, they're still exchanging it at banks, although everything's dropping like crazy right now, and plus they tack on an incredible exchange rate. And you can also use Western Union, which is kind of steep. If you're in, if you're in Europe, for instance, uh, you can use MoneyGram, which is a bit cheaper. And uh, if you want to go cheaper, still use MoneyGram Check. They can write a check for you and you can post it rather than have them wire it across the waters, which is awfully expensive. And if you you post it, it'll take about seven days to get to you by air. And that hopefully will help me to keep these sites going and keep doing what I'm doing because, as I say, we're going through the biggest transformations in history since the Industrial Revolution, really, and that's what the big boys said themselves many years ago in their talks, uh, their big, big meetings on their plans for the world. These are the greatest changes we've seen in an awful long time. It's not just cultural changes, but they also mentioned that vast, vast movements of people would go across the world from one country to the next and so on. Well, we've seen that over the last 10 years or more, in fact. And yet they, they made these speeches over 30 years ago, sometimes 40 years ago, at the global meetings they were having, when they predicted they would bring the world to the state that it's in now. And of course, through uh, financial collapse and so on, economic crisis, they would bring the world under the World Bank. 
and the IMF, and that's what we're living through as well. Never mind all the cultural changes which they said they bring in, which we've seen happen. We're living through a script. A script, though, that's incredibly well organized. And it's not difficult when you realize that the richest people on the planet, who run the whole money system for the whole planet, basically run all the front organizations and the think tanks, and all the NGO groups and charities that uh, lobby and promote the various causes that all work together uh, along separate roads to bring themselves onto the same road at the end, which is a form of scientific socialism for the entire planet. But of course, run by the big boys at the top, who've always been there. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. As I say, we're living through a script and you have to delve into your histories to fit the puzzles together because there's like lots of puzzles within puzzles and it's only here and there you get little scattered pieces of information. Sometimes it's just one paragraph in some thick, dry, old, dusty book and you put that together with other dry paragraphs or liners, one-liners and comments or statements by authors and big movers. And you start to see that you're, you truly are living in a script. These guys don't sit at the top saying, well, we govern the peoples. They sit at the top and they plan a particular type of future. And it's, it's no secret, really, once you get into them, that you find their problem has always been not just to how to get power or maintain power. It, it's how to keep power over the general public. And you do get the sense, because these guys at the top do go over their histories, and they look carefully at rebellions and revolutions down through the ages, and they don't want them to have to be, to be repeated on themselves, where they're ousted, especially when they have an agenda at stake. And their whole idea, in all sides, in all parts, it doesn't matter if it was communist or capitalist or whatever, they, they were into the same thing, sharing the wisdom between scientists with their international science meetings on how to use science to make the people more docile and compliant and more content with whatever lot they were handed by the big boys at the top and whatever kind of system they were given to live in as well. And they, they talked about using incredible psychologies, which are there all the time. You can't pick up any media today where psychology isn't involved in presenting something to you in a particular way and even giving you an opinion on various topics. That's the standard technique, including television as well, where... After a president, for instance, speaks, they bring on about two experts, at least minimum two, sometimes four, and they'll leave you with two main opinions, so you can pick one or the other, like a toss-up. But really, why would you need them if you didn't hear, if you heard the guy speak himself, why would you need four interpreters to tell you what the president just said, you see? So, games are played on us constantly, uh, and it's all, it's a lifelong process, it doesn't stop because you're under a scientific type of socialism, and big players like Bertrand Russell and Brzezinski and various other people talked about the time not only was coming, but technically was already there 30, 40 years ago, maybe even 50, where the media and the governments behind those countries that use the media were using advertising agencies like the Bernays-type deals 
to influence the behavior, uh, to use the unconscious motivations of people, to direct those motivations into what the government wanted them to go into and create the kind of society they wanted. And they've, they've, had, they've got it, really. They've got it. And strangely, along with it, too, there was a revolution going on at the same time, and it was authorized by these same people who wanted to keep control. Interesting, really, when you look at it, we always think of those in power as kind of static and wanting to maintain a type of system that doesn't change very much, maybe more compliant people, but not really for change. And the opposite is true. They wanted to create a different kind of society, and it isn't until you understand the sexual revolution that was promoted from the top, because these are the guys at the top promote all revolutions, and for progress, they call it, and see the, the outcomes of it. Then you understand that it's so similar to the communist ideology of the abolition of the family unit, and that's what came out of it, basically. We saw countries building mainly single-parent uh, family homes like Britain, massive social housing projects, because they knew in the 60s they were going to make it the way in society that eventually come the 70s and 80s, most women would be single, and, and the ones that were mothers would be single mothers. They had designed a, a culture to make this happen. And unfortunately, you know, when they sit at the top there with full confidence talking about how they can manipulate us all and all our behaviors, uh, they're quite correct in what they say. It isn't just an idle boast. They're not really boasting about it. They take it uh, in a more uh, passé sort of way because they've had so many, maybe hundreds of years, maybe longer, of, of, of using these techniques on the general public. They can make you believe and do whatever they want you to believe and do. That's a sad truth. Terribly sad. And we also know, too, that the British Empire... Uh, was to be the model state for the world, the, the model system, I should say, for the world to copy under the United Nations. And they certainly used that structure uh, by placing what they, they call democracies or leaving those countries they pulled out of eventually with a form of democracy, sometimes slightly altered for the cultural makeup of its people. But basically standardizing a system, that was the technique that was used. And it's still, uh, it's still actually one of the tenets of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Dash Council on Foreign Relations, that they will not pull out of a country that they've taken over or invaded under any guise whatsoever. Uh, they will not pull out unless until they've set up a similar structure of this so-called democratic institution based on England. Now, out of that was to come the global society, but not just any global society. It was a society where where a very powerful government using scientific techniques would run indiv every individual uh, in a, a, almost a socialistic uh, fashion that the communists predicted would come in eventually. The communists never got quite to it. They did bring school to work in. They picked children at school. They'd give them a few tests, very young, and then they would decide there and then what th those children would be educated in. And if they picked you for an engineer, you would get exactly what you needed to know to become an engineer, but nothing else. And that's how they did it. And then we find they do the same thing in the West with the school-to-work projects and, and uh, the various technical schools that were sprung up all over the place as well. So you, you see something that, although they appear different, a Soviet system and a Western system, uh, they appear different through the propaganda aspects of newspapers, 
when you actually look at what they're doing, they're pretty well the same in structure because they're aiming at the same ending. And, of course, uh, the general public didn't know that eventually the Soviet structure was to be blended completely with that of the West. And so we would have something that Lenin talks about after the dictatorship would be over. He said that it, a system would, would come out that wasn't quite capitalist and not quite communist. And what they meant by that was a socialist, scientifically run society with experts uh, running the general public, experts and governmental departments galore, of course. And he also said, too, mind you, that they'd start up services like police services health services, educational services, which would eventually become authorities over the general public. Because these are essential to to take over the minds of people. The education is incredibly essential, because in, in education is just indoctrination, you see, to give you a view of reality and train you for your function in that society to really serve it as a taxpayer. And therefore, nothing really surprises us when the Rees Commission came out in the 1950s examining the foundations, the big foundations in America and Europe, and to find out that they were actually pushing what seemed to be communist front groups and heavily funding them. And uh, they were told by the CEOs of a couple of the foundations, this was a, this was a hearing, you know, this was a, a congressional hearing and a senatorial hearing on these foundations, it came out from the CEOs of these foundations, their job was to eventually merge the culture of the West with the Soviet system and their culture uh, down the road. Well, that's happened. That's happened. And, of course, uh, it's so fascinating to watch them set up the first League of Nations and then the United Nations to help bring about uh, this as a sort of negotiating table where they supposedly would hammer out the differences and find ways to implement these grand schemes. And, of course, they're doing it too. The United Nations, too, was to become a, a form of governmental body, a world governmental body or regulatory body, and it might change its name down the road when all this is ac- uh, accomplished, of course, and we're almost there today, almost there. There's not a law passed in your country that really does not come from the United Nations, be it criminal uh, or be it um, civil or be it to do with building codes or whatever. It all comes from departments in the United Nations and dished out to every country that's signed on to them and then implemented by what you think is, is your own country into law. They've got a finger in every single pie. But remember, too, reading H.G. Wells, when he celebrated the setup of the League of Nations, the precursor of the United Nations, and he said that eventually the government will achieve what it always wanted to. He thought it was a great thing, and that was total power over every individual with no family structure standing in the way and no wife or husband to stand in the way of party loyalty to the system. And the government could talk directly to you as an individual and order you. And that's why George Orwell, in 1984, starts off in his book where the the big telescreen in his room uh, talks directly to him. There's no one there. You're on your own. You're kind of shaking with fear. And there's Big Brother and and Big Brother's front, uh, front spokespeople dictating right to you, telling you what to do. We're almost there, especially with the Internet. Some countries have already set up your private uh, governmental 
internet connection so as the government can notify you whatever directly to you and speak to you directly on your computer and uh, the rest will, will follow suit I'm sure very very shortly it's all coming very very well and when you go through something like a financial crisis that's supposedly and it's so incredible uh, so incredibly farcical that anybody would actually believe that no one saw this so-called explosion and bubble bursting with the economy uh, because they took the drains off the economy years ago, years ago, and all the watchdogs that watched over it to make sure that, yeah, that allows so much corruption to get to go on with trading and investments and, and little bubbles, but it didn't get out of hands. Well, they took all those, those reins off and, and said, well, go by this new technique which will help the market balance itself. They'll be honest, these guys. Trust us. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just talking about the big script that we live through and how it so reminds me of, again, Orwell's portrayal of a, a, a time when a form of martial law would be used to the extreme. Incredible security under the constant threat of terrorism internally and traitors and so on, which we're going through now. We always have that in the reign of terror by your government. And he he showed you that the, the proles, the ordinary folk, really don't count much because they don't do much. They don't do much inquiry, thinking they're pretty powerless. They're kept out of the picture. They go along. They're, they're really apolitical, most people. If you leave them alone, they're, they're pretty... Once they're out of university and they get over that wild phase of their indoctrination by professors, they, they go back to just sitting back, having a good time. Bertrand Russell also said the same thing, too, that most folk are apolitical, therefore minorities always change the future. And believe you me, in a system run by money, naturally the richest minorities are the ones who run the system. It makes quite, quite natural sense, doesn't it? Those who have the cash run the system. And we are run by foundations. Now, to show you, too, the agendas that they have, I'm going to put up a, a link tonight to the site is called Global Governance 2025 at a critical juncture, it's called, and is put out by the, the International Security Society or something. It's also put up by the CIA, and uh, it's got the uh, Office of the Director of National Intelligence from the U.S., and it's also got some inquiries to uh, the Council, to the National Intelligence Council, and to the EU Institute of Security Studies as well. These are the guys who put this together. So if you don't think you're living through a script, well, go back and watch your comedies on television and enjoy yourself, because you're living through a script. Anyway, they have uh, the plan for global governance, and it's to be here long before 2025. But in 2025, various things will come together that might cause disruptions within what once were nations, you see, because we're in the process right now of becoming not nations, and really just, we're called states at the moment. Every country is called a little state by the United Nations, and eventually we'll have to get dissolved into regions. They're already doing this in places like Canada with accords, just punch up Canadian accords and American accords, American-Canadian accords, and you'll see all these different agreements that mayors 
and provincial leaders and state senators have signed with cross-border integration for sharing all resources and so on, energy, that kind of stuff. And that's the setup for your regionalization, which the United Nations laid down oh, 40, 50 years ago. So I'll put this link up. You can go through it at your leisure. Global Governance 2025 at a critical juncture. That's only one of many of their, their, their put-outs by uh, the big think tanks and committees that help run the world for their masters. And part of it, too, is to move people, as I say, under Agenda 21, which is also called Sustainable Development now. That was on the UN's website. So many folk were talking about Agenda 21 that they tried to to give it different names because it got such a bad name by people who were watching them. (laughs) And they were spreading the word, so they changed it to Sustainable Development, Millennium Goals, that type of stuff. And part of it is to move all the, the folk from the rural areas into the big cities, overcrowded cities. And, of course, they're going to bring you down as your population starts to die off and let you all die off in these big overcrowded slum cities. That's why, by the way, if, you if you've been wondering why your cities haven't had road repairs and major repairs for the last 30 years or so, it's because they knew what they were going to do with you down the roads. Why put the cash in when eventually those big places will one day get bypassed or simply bulldozed? Russia plans to move its people to big towns, it says here. And this comes out from the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia. It says, the Kremlin is considering the biggest geographical redistribution of its population since Joseph Stalin's forced deportations of entire nationalities in the 1940s. Under the plans which were leaked to the Daily Vedomosti newspaper, most of Russia's 141 million population would be concentrated in just 20 urban centers. At present, they're spread sparsely over one-fifth of the Earth's surface. That's why they're so healthy. You see, they're spread out. About 90% of Russia's towns are relatively small, with populations of 100,000 people or less, many of them in remote locations. Again, that's why they're healthy and less crime in those places. The crime is all in the city. The leak plan said such places had no future and were not worth developing. Does that ring a bell? It said about your dilapidated roads and everything everywhere else. Instead, it proposed relocating people to 20 giant urban centers where Russia's main natural resources, such as oil and gas, were located. Unlike in Stalin's day when people were forced to move at gunpoint on the often spurious grounds that they were enemies of the people or Nazi collaborators, relocating would be optional and encouraged on economic grounds. And of course it'll be on economic grounds because it'll make it so darn difficult to live in the country uh, and uh, buy taxations like they do in Canada. That's what they're doing here to get us all off the rural areas, massive taxations, uh, that they'll make, make it happen one way or another. Much of rural Russia is dying as young people move to towns and cities, and entire Soviet-era settlements which were built around just one or two factories are no longer economically viable. Uh, There is no need to fight against the current, and we need to develop big cities and urban centers, the plan said, according to the newspaper. The analyst said the plan, which would roll back the Soviet era of urbanizing the entire country, is likely to be heavily touted by the president, Dmitry Medvedev, as part of his agenda to modernize Russia. Changing the map of the country is is a necessary but not simple task, which needs to be done very carefully, as any overaction could lead to a fight for urban resources, he said. Back with more after this.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. Cutting through the matrix. You know, Jack Satali wrote in his book, Millennium, Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. I think it was published around 2000 or so. He talked about the takedown of America, especially, and some other countries. And he mentioned, and he's a big player at the United Nations, still is. He was also the top poncho for presidents for years in France. And he was more important, he said, in, in, in his dealings with the diplomats and the presidents themselves were. In other words, he was a Kissinger-type character, and still is. Uh, he's written a book since then, of course, but he, he mentioned about this new coming system where uh, as we went international, as we were forced to go international, and how they'd make it happen that we were international and borders would disappear and so on, he said that um, the next boat people would be Americans leaving their shores looking for work abroad. And people kind of scoffed at that at the time, but uh, I knew they could certainly make it happen quite easily. I've done it before with other countries. Because once the money's pulled out from underneath you, you have nothing to fall back on, you see, and everything goes to pieces. But this is actually happening. And remember, too, we're now in the age of what he also called the managerial class, the world managers. The United Nations also calls them world managers. That's where we're under right now. And we also heard at the World Bank meeting years ago when Rockefeller and Rothschild attended and said that uh, the, the present generation, this generation, this was in the 90s, um, would be the cannon fodder, the cannon fodder for this big shake-up to transform the world. And that's what, how they see us, cannon fodder, basically. They also said you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. So all this... This upheaval you see in joblessness and the corporations that were planned to take off because of GATS and the World Trade Organization being it possible for them to all move to China, encouraging them and paying them to move to China, by the way, with your tax money, funding them to do it. That was all arranged long, long ago. But he talked about the managerial class would be a kind of nomadic group that would go from country to country uh, working for the world government bodies in different con- stationed in great cities across what used to be countries, and they a form of new nomads, but very highly paid, extra perks and privileges and so on. But he also talked about the boat people. Well, he said eventually, too, those with the, the highest qualifications would be accepted into this managerial class. The rest would have to fight and squabble and maybe even kill each other for a living. He says only the creme de la creme would be taken into the high positions and to survive, to manage the world. Here's an article here. It says, young Americans flock overseas to teach English. Then they give you a story where one guy, for instance, gave an example of one fella who was given the chance uh, to either leave and go abroad and work or, or, or do some menial job back home. He went abroad. And it says... Um, like tens of thousands of young Americans with degrees but few jobs, Saltzman 23 took off for South Korea to teach. The only requirements were no criminal record and a bachelor's degree in anything, anything. And the school paid his airfare, putting him up in a small apartment or buy him a ticket home when his contract ends. South Korea is the hot spot for such jobs, but untold thousands of new grads are teaching in Vietnam, Thailand, Hong Kong, Japan and China 
where parents are gung-ho for English. These schools are interested in pronunciation, being able to make conversation, not rules of grammar, says Dave Sperling, 48, who runs a web-based business in Los Angeles, helping foreign schools and recruiters find teachers. And in an economy still shedding jobs, it's boom time for Asian schools looking for U.S. grads and a boon for young people like Salzman. I should just mention here, I've got lots of people abroad who are doing these teaching jobs who get in touch with me, even in China. And um, the, the, the style of living is definitely way higher than what left. It says, uh, I've been going to school since I was four years old and was burned out from attending classes, taking exams, and worrying about my future, says Salzman who has been in Daegu, South Korea, since last fall. I didn't want to get a mediocre job, and I live under my parents' roof. So instead of worrying about finding a job or getting into graduate school, like most of my friends, I decided to teach in Korea. Like most of my friends, I decided to teach in Korea. So you see, things are really changing, and they have been for quite a few years in this direction. But it isn't just people to teach. It's also people to, to for engineers are qualified and so on. They're really recruiting them in these countries for teaching as well, but also to go into industry and um, bring their expertise with them. Quite something. So we're already going through this great flux. And at the same time, it's interesting to look at what's happening in North America with the, the relaxation of various rules under the NAFTA treaties and so on, with the massive influx of immigrants coming up from Latin America into the America, the U.S., and, um, and, of course, Italia also said eventually America would end up speaking primarily Spanish. That was on the books like a, like a must-be. It would just be that way. That's what was going to happen. Because it wasn't just Mexico that was to come in. It was every other country eventually under the NAFTA agreements in Latin America. So we're seeing this. At the same time, you're seeing the things in Europe being going on for years as they merged Europe together, where people literally shop for the best place to live where they can get good health care uh, and, and often be put on welfare as soon as they come off the, off the boats. And Britain's been the target of most of the countries that have collapsed from the old Soviet era and they're able to take off under the European Union to Britain. And Britain's about sunk now with uh, massive debts. And there's an awful lot of corruption involved too, of course, but massive debt in a welfare state. And that also helped put it under. That was planned too, of course, because they're not stupid at the top. They know what, they know the consequences of what they do. Of course they do. So we're seeing massive migrations of people. Exactly as, as I, these guys said in their old books, 34, 50, 60 years ago. So I would say we're right on schedule. People often say to me, oh, their, their plans are held back. I don't see it at all. I think they're right on schedule with what they're doing, and they're managing this very, very, very well. Now, there's a, a, a caller from Kentucky on the line. I should really take that now. Is Jenny there from Kentucky? Hello? Yes, and I'm going to talk. I'm not talking exactly about what you were covering tonight. I think that it's essentially uh, what is – I hear you, I hear other people in the patriot world. I don't want to – uh, father, their uh, views on you because you you have your own views. Uh, talking about they they concoct something they call esoteric spirituality and they say it's all bad. And I've studied different kinds of spirituality and mysticism. I've, I've spent a great deal of energy studying that, and 
I do know that there are groups like the Masons and, you know, other strange uh, secret societies that call themselves esoteric that are most problematical. I, but there is an interior dimension that I think is probably, when you get on a spiritual level, it's healing. Otherwise, everything is going to be what you call exoteric, and there's no dimension to it. Okay, can I chime in here? I am my husband, and um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, we're both embarking mm-hmm. in what we call new world order studies, and uh, you know, and learning learning a great deal very rapidly because uh, a lot is coming out now, and you're doing a great job in bringing a lot of it out. But you know, just to, to talk about our background, um, uh, I, I'm I've been a Sufi. A Muslim and a Sufi for the past 22 years, and now I'm in my second Sufi order. And uh, my, my wife was in one of those uh, orders, and then uh, she went to another one, and now now she has uh, converted to Christianity and, and is a uh, uh, Orthodox Christian with interest in the traditional Catholics who don't believe that the Pope is is actually the Pope. So this is where we're at, and we've been associated, and on my, both of us as writers as well. For some time, with something called the traditionalist or perennialist. Well, don't plug in anything. You just tell me your point, will you? Okay. The point is this: es- you know, we know esoteric spirituality because, in a certain sense, we practice it. Um, the the evil of the esoteric uh, of esoteric spirituality is based upon the perversion of something good, perversion of something very deep, and this isn't understood by you know Henry McCall by actually by you and by uh, John Coleman, you know, Macau will simply say something like, well, you know, these Kabbalistic uh, Masonic Jewish international bankers. Well, there are probably people exactly like that, you know, who, that that's a good description. But the Kabbalah is not just evil. It's not just an evil control system, you know, that, that was concocted by... But don't, don't, don't give us a lecture on it, because you, what you're explaining... Is, is your your take on something uh, and your belief in something, but you surely must have a deeper point. Is uh, you know give you give you our view of how esoteric spirituality is a good thing. It's perverted by the powers that be and by the new world order and put to an evil use. A friend of mine sent you a book by Rene Guénon called uh, uh, "The Reign of Quantity and the Signs of the Times." We got some other books we'd like to send you. That will make this point, so I don't have to take all, all the time on the air. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, um, I haven't seen that come in, but uh, no. Anyway, I, I will look for it for sure. But I'm, I don't know what you're saying. I understand because you're talking about a spiritual side of nature or man, uh, which is, is getting knocked out of him right now in a materialistic society, and uh, of course that is happening, and of course the worst horrors come out. Either way, you can get the same thing when people go too far overboard in the spiritual sense and mistake the spiritual um, side of it for nationality or even tribalism, and then you end up with horror. Or you can get it to the atheistic side where communism takes over, pretends that there's no deity. Because in communism, there's a higher order of religion, believe you me. And then they start slaughtering people because they're just animals. Um, so you're quite right in that respect. Now, we're getting reduced today to the, to, the, to the quantum physics, basically. We're just little molecules running around, 
In fact, they've actually told us through one theory that was pushed big time that we're just like a virus, and whatever we do or say or whatever motivates us is the end compilation of billions of cells that are all trying to survive, and they make you what you are uh, when they emerge at the surface, basically. Whatever comes out your mouth is not your brain saying so. It's the compilation of billions of cells that are all trying to survive over each other. That's what they're trying to say that humanity is, just a, basically a machine. And, of course, we're, we're more than machines with the ability to to take life, absolutely. It's the easiest thing to take life like any other animal, but we also have the ability to spare life as well. So we have uh, choices which animals don't have. We definitely have choices. And, unfortunately, in a materialistic, totally materialistic world, as we're getting um, uh, basically decimalized and counted and numbered and stamped, and we're just numbers on computers. That's what we are today. We're not really people anymore. We're losing the value of the spiritual side of humanity. So I, I quite agree with what you're saying there. Now, the the thing is, too, you got to understand that the Kabbalah was utterly changed many, a long, long time ago. And if you go into Egypt, too, you'll find the early tracings of Kabbalah, which were different again. And uh, you've got to understand, too, that power is always power. Any Any elite who... Has, has the ability to read and the rest don't, uh, will always use that power to maintain themselves and mislead others. And you can lose yourself as well in spirituality if you're not careful. You understand what you're dealing with too. Carl Jung really expressed so much in his writings because he dabbled in both sides of things, from the psychological side, the psychiatric side, and from the spiritual side. And he was also aware that the coming system uh, he said it was like an iron curtain over the world of bureaucracy and, and people and numbers uh, and not seen as humans at all. That was his biggest fear, he said, before he died in his last book. And he's quite right. That's what we have. We've got civil services, agencies. We've got uh, organizations, groups, all, all fighting over materialism. In on called the reign of quantity, where everything is, is quantified and the qualities, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You don't, consider, mm-hmm. you don't consider them to exist, yeah. which is why you don't know what a human being is. And, and the thing is, too, under all the guise of, of fairness and liberalism, believe you me, liberals are, are the most unjust of all because um, under the guise of freeing everybody, if you don't agree with them on anything, they do not allow your opinion to count at all. In fact, they'd rather kill you, which we saw in the Soviet system, too. So uh, there's a lot of trickery involved um, really, everyone should let everyone live the way they're according to live as long as they don't stand on your toes. Almost like the, the true anarchist would say as well. He'd walk through life and he would take bits of wisdom from here and there, but he would not allow anybody to force their opinions on him. And we're living in a system where opinions are forced upon us and we're told how to behave. We're told what to think. We're told what kind of world order we're coming into and we will obey uh, or else by force or whatever means necessary, uh, that is not freedom by any means. But uh, but thanks for calling in, and uh, I look forward to seeing the books. And then we'll go on to Dave from Japan. He's waiting there. Are you there, Dave? Yes, hey, Alan, how you doing? Not too bad. Yeah. Uh, first, I just get it out the way. I'll tell everybody out there, get this guy some money, five, ten bucks. And uh, don't just do it once, do it as much as you can, because I don't know what I'd do without your radio show. It helps a lot. Mm, thanks. Yep. Uh, uh, just a quick question, kind of off subject, but something uh, I've been kind of curious about and can't really find 
too much uh, people, uh, even when I used to listen to uh, Alex Jones, he wouldn't even touch on it, uh, is Israel. It seems like everybody's getting pushed around by this globalist agenda, and Israel is the only person that kind of just gets a free pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, it is. It's the only country in this world now that's allowed to be nationalist. It's the most nationalist country on the whole planet. And, and anyone else who says they're nationalists is, is booed and decried by every other country who have joined up with the UN and that they're now denationalizing their countries, becoming states and becoming provinces within regions. Um, that, that last article I talked about, their, their, their global agenda for 2020 and so on, and the crisis, the, these guys have it all mapped out. There will be no countries as such. So does Jack Satali. But Israel, of course, has gone off in a different route altogether. It is ultra-nationalist. In fact, it's more, it's, it's more in kin with what they claimed the National Socialism of Germany was during World War II, uh, maybe to a greater degree than even Germany was. And uh, they, they certainly um, have got off with plain murder in the world's eyes, but not according to themselves, because they see and they're taught to, to see things in a different way from childhood in Israel. So um, they're also backed by the most powerful, wealthiest people on the planet. And we live in a monetary system worldwide. So naturally, those with the cash uh, will run the show and, and certainly back them. But yeah, you're, you're quite right. Israel is the, the, is the exception in, in the makeup of the whole planet that's not integrating with everyone else. Uh, they're not opening their borders to the mass floodgate of immigration from elsewhere. You know, from all different faiths and nationalities and so on. Doesn't happen. But hold on and come back after this break. Hi, folks, we're back. Cutting through the matrix, and is uh, Dave still there from Japan? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. You're talking about Israel, and, and yeah, and we're going to understand that Israel has a purpose because it was set up under the Zionist movement, which is well recorded at, in Israeli sites. In fact, you can find all you need to know about Zionism. And Zionism also had a world purpose, and was and it was born out and was part of the world revolutionary movements that Karl Marx advocated too. In fact, um, the man who really is credited for even coming up with the idea of a return to a place called Palestine uh, was um, the mentor of Karl Marx, and that was Moses Hess. And you have to read up on the writings of Moses Hess. But he also said that, that, uh, that, that Hebrews or Jews had lost their way in life and because they were integrating with society. And he said their purpose had always been really to guide humanity, as he put it, along the correct direct, uh, directions, bringing them at the, under what they called God's law. And um, he became a strong, staunch advocate that they do this. So there's a revolutionary um, side of Judaism as well, which isn't mentioned much today, but it's still ongoing. It's a revolutionary in social affairs, and that's why uh, it's pushed so much in left-wing uh, Judaism as opposed to the orthodox and so on. 
uh, the Nipush world socialism because it's part of a religion, really. Even atheistic Jews uh, are taught this kind of course of action in, and are guided through all their own publications. So it was obviously bringing this kind of society that they, they claimed would be just and fair and all the rest of it, but run under laws, strict laws. Um, however, it wasn't the first time that had happened because you understand too there was a first uh, Jewish revolution and that was in, that was that culminated in AD 70 when the diaspora began or kicked out of uh, the Holy Land because what the revolution they had there was not just based in that area it was based across the ancient world wherever they congregated and had their own neighborhoods they hoped to get a worldwide revolution going in the ancient times they were actually um, proselytizing at that time and taking recruits. So it's interesting to see it culminating in what's called the New Israel. Um, many outside people, Jews from outside, don't really accept Israel as, as even being Jewish. They say it's really a communist or socialist system altogether, uh, a materialistic system as opposed to a godly system. There's lots of squabbles amongst them. So, and there was actually riots, in fact, uh, in England when they tried to set up, uh, after the Balfour Declaration, there was riots between uh, Jews in, in London, pitch battles in the streets. And the police were involved uh, because they did not want uh, this, this type of Israel to be set up. They said that the Israel was to be set up led by God, not by men. And, of course, we know that Rothschild, it's well documented in, in Morley's books and Rothschild, that uh, he funded, even in the 1800s, were funding uh, Russian Jews into Israel, and that, that really sped up after they had the communist revolution. They were allowed to pass into Israel without problems from the Soviet system, and there, many of them were atheistic and hardened communists. And that that left-wing policy still runs them today in a communistic fashion. Yeah, But they're backed by the most powerful lobbies on the planet. And here's the key, too. If it's a natural way, then everyone else should be just as nationalistic, and we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. Think about that. Think about that. Yeah. See, right, we, we, well, thank you for, thank you for uh, taking my call, and uh, I'll let you go. And thanks for calling. Yeah, there's always two ways to see something, and if everyone else stood up the same way as they do, we would not be in the mess we're in. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.